Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. This is Eric alongside Rod, and we're going to go over Michigan State's narrow defeat to Gonzaga, 64-63 on the USS Abraham Lincoln on Veterans Day, a game that was right there, Michigan State with the final possession, down one point, called timeout, and then was just not able to get off a, a clean play. And, you know, credit somewhat to Gonzaga. I think, you know, we had talked about before, it could be the conditions of the on the aircraft carrier too, just the weirdness of playing outside with wind and sunlight and those sorts of things and a weird sort of situation. Uh, just in general for the game, Madi Sissoko led Michigan State with 14 points and nine rebounds. Uh, we had relatively kind of flipped game, flipped halves. When Michigan State shot 50% in the first half and 25% in the second half, Gonzaga shot about 25% in the first half, actually 34, and then 50% in the second half. Both teams had really a big struggle from the three-point line. Gonzaga only shot 22%. Michigan State shot 18.8%. Uh, they both were about 65% from the line which pretty much matches up and lines up with the final score of 64-63, a game that Michigan State was obviously not favored. They were a, It was a, about a 10-point underdog, I think, by the time the yep. betting lines closed on Friday. And uh, it was, it was I think, a pretty impressive performance for Michigan State. And and I would say my general impression coming out of the, the obviously neat setting, the one thing that I think was now apparent if it had not been yet for everyone else is that Madi Sissoko at the five is clearly the best option at the five spot. But not only that, he is more than just competent. I think he's actually a plus, And I think he's even probably better than we had the five last season, which I really did not think was going to be possible. Uh, not that our five was great last year, but for where Madi had been, that the brief moments we'd seen him, I didn't really expect a whole lot, except just kind of hold, hoping somebody kind of hold things down. But he looked good. Act, he's He was energetic. And I think in the second half, if anything, he just was sort of maybe a little bit too much energy. And I think Timmy played like the All-American he was. He had 22 points, uh, what, 12 or 13 rebounds. I mean, you know, he looked like he, <laughs> he looked like the player, uh, National Player of the Year candidate. And um, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's those are my sort of first impressions with the game. Well, I'll, I'll come back to those. Um, but I, I think particularly the last one about Sissoko. But um, my overarching thoughts are these um and i you know i mostly i think the fan base from what i've seen and heard took it okay but i think there's always this and we kind of talked about it in the preview to this game there's this annual collective amnesia that a lot of michigan state (laughs) fans go through where they're really hung up on the win or the loss in games at this time of the season. And history tells you it's a massive mistake. And I don't, I don't want to hear about, Oh, that's worth one seed. Like shove it up your ass. You don't know what you're talking about a game against the number two team who may or may not end up ranked there. But I think for a variety of reasons is probably pretty likely to stay top 10 ish. The whole way. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fair expectation of this Gonzaga team. Um, it's not going to mean anything. In fact, it will only be a positive, if anything, that Michigan State played this well, this competitively, let's say, against that opponent, um, if it means anything at all. So the fan base needs to get rid of that stuff. But I, I know that's, you know, uh, 
tilting <laughs> against windmills because it has, as I say, collective amnesia. It happens every year like clockwork. Um, what's important is we talked about in the last um, in the uh, preview of this game, I believe, is that Michigan State plays these games. It gives you a level check, right? I think that's exactly what I said. It tells you yeah. where you're at, which is really the only thing that matters at this stage. For, for the most part, you, yeah, of course you want to win. You want to win every game you play. But this isn't football. Too many people still, this many years down the line, treat it as if it's football. It's not. Um, you cannot think of it that way. You think of these games as opportunities, most of all, to test yourself. All right. Um, so if what you're concerned about is how good Michigan State is or isn't at this stage, this absurdly early stage of the season, well, we don't know for sure, but I, I can I can tell you this. Two things have me thinking this is going to be a pretty good year. One of them was the effort level that Michigan State competed with. Um, that was a game where they played extremely hard, extremely hard. Um, I would, I would have a tough time. I mean, maybe, maybe a game or two in that stretch run in the COVID year, where Michigan State had to beat those top five-ish teams and did. Maybe those come close in the effort category, but not too many others. Uh, in recent memory, I, I just loved the way Michigan State competed, the grittiness, the toughness they played with. Uh, that is a very good sign. The other thing that you really ought to pay attention to, and if you pay any attention to this program over the years, you should know this. Tom Izzo was pissed after that game, <laughs> angry yeah. that they lost. Why is that a positive indicator? Because he only gets that way when he thinks he's got a team that can actually do things. All right. In, in yeah. some other years, I'm not saying he's ever happy about losing, but there's a difference between, you know, yeah, we lost. We didn't do this well, that well, da, 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 and being actually a little ticked off, being angry. And that's what he was. That's a great sign. You should embrace that if you're a Michigan State fan, because it tells you that your coach, who knows more than all the rest of us put together, um, thinks and believes that this team is good enough to compete. And by compete, I mean challenge for winning things, not winning games, winning things. Um, mm -hmm. That's what you should be excited about, in my opinion. So those were my big thoughts. Turning to Sissoko, um, you know, I would have hoped that a showing like last night from Madi Sissoko, where just to refresh everybody's memory against an All-American, as you said, a National Player of the Year candidate, um, Madi had 14 points, four for five from the floor, was six for 11 from the line, and I think hit his last four in a row. That was good. Yes. Nine boards, one block uh, before fouling out. So 14 and nine. Um, in what did he play? 25 minutes. You would think that would be enough. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm venting a little bit on the fan base here at the outset. So I get it out of my system and then we'll get down to brass tacks. Um, you would think <laughs> that would be enough. Should it should be enough. If the last quarter century wasn't read that with heavy, the heaviest possible sarcasm um, should have taught people that Tom Izzo kind of knows what he's doing, knows his personnel better than you do. You would think that that showing would have killed all this talk about why didn't he go into the portal, right? No, yeah. the, the goalposts have moved. Now I'm hearing that he needed to add somebody for depth purposes. And so Michigan State wouldn't get caught short the way they did last night, the second half when Mahdi was in foul trouble. And then when he fouled out, that wasn't the argument for the record that any of you dopes that might be hearing this were making. The argument you were making is that Michigan State had nobody coming back and two freshmen. Well, it turns out they actually have a pretty significant somebody who came back 
We've already seen enough. I'm not saying Mati Sissoko is going to be first team all Big Ten this year or necessarily any other year in his career. But is he a guy who can be a quality center, not just a placeholder at the Big Ten level? Absolutely. I've seen enough. It's over. I'm declaring it. I'm going to play my uh, my um, uh, election night <laughs> coverage role. I've seen enough. Mati Sissoko yeah. is a guy you can win with, right? That was the argument that they didn't have anybody. Well, they've clearly got somebody. Now, for the depth thing, just to dispense with that garbage, everybody and their brother loved getting Jackson Kohler. And I do too. But if you want to ask, well, Michigan State got caught short because he's not ready, which was true. The, the, the minutes he played in this game, he clearly showed you defensively. He was not going to be able to deal with Drew Timmy down the stretch in that game that would have, we would have had the same results or perhaps even worse if he had been on the floor. Again, you've been watching. Most people have been watching this program for years and years and years. How does Tom Izzo develop players? How does he teach with playing time, right? People playing time <laughs> one. He wanted to win the game. And so he knew trying to win the game, Jackson Kohler down the stretch in that game was not going to be a winning combination. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. So we know that, but secondly, and just as important, if you want to get Jackson Kohler to the point this season where you can play him in situations like that, the Tom Izzo historical playbook says you don't get there by giving him minutes when he's not ready, he's not capable of playing the way Michigan State demands him to play. The only chance you have of getting there is teaching him. And your best tool for teaching him, playing time. By the way, that's not only a Tom Izzo playbook. That's an every great coach I've ever seen playbook. Bob Knight used to talk <laughs> about that constantly. I've heard the speech. I think it's a there's a there's a famous or semi-famous clip of him talking about it. I think it was at a coaching clinic where he said ass and bench are the two best tools to teach somebody (laughs) ass affixed to bench. That's what does it. So if you want Jackson, nobody can try to tell me with a straight face that Jackson Kohler was ready to play yesterday and play winning basketball when they needed him to. Right. I think we'd all agree on that. We saw enough. And I'm not saying he can't do that this year. I think he will. We're talking about him going up against one of the best big men in America. That's the problem, you know, and drew Timmy had it rolling at that time too. Um, If you want to get him there, which was what everybody wants, you gotta do it the right way. And, And that's what I think happened yesterday. And so anybody who's up in arms about that and anybody who wants to try to make the argument on November 12th that, no, no, what I really meant was Michigan State needed to add a five for depth purposes. That wasn't anybody's argument. Nobody. The argument was MSU had no one at the five. And if they did have someone, it was Jackson Kohler, who's a freshman. Well, that's been blown out of the water. So do yourself a favor. Uh, if, if you're having a problem along those lines this evening, we're, we're recording this on um, Saturday after Saturday evening. Um, keep your mouth shut. You'll look less stupid. <laughs> well, End of rant about the fan base. Yes. But, but I don't want to let that let that overshadow what you said, which is Mati Sissoko played a whale of a ball game. And I agree with you. Yes. For as good as Marcus Bingham could be at certain points last season. And he was, he had some really nice games, really nice games. I don't think he ever did it. I know he didn't ever do it against somebody, the quality of drew Timmy. I know that. Um, and I don't think he ever played a complete game the way Madi Sissoko did because Madi Sissoko, you know, we just, I just rolled off the stats, but it wasn't even just that it's, he, I, you know, I, I wish I had, and I don't have it in front of me. Um, I wish I had the by half shooting split on drew Timmy because drew Timmy ended oh, up yeah, nine. No question. He ended up nine for 14 from the floor, which is pretty good. That's a, 
more or less a normal night for him, maybe slightly better. Um, I don't think I would guess most of those misses came in the first half. Mati Sissoko played such a smart defensive game, making him work, staying big, not getting suckered, any of the head fakes, ball fakes, staying down, staying long, and staying physical while not fouling him. Uh, a lot of other people today are upset about the way the game was officiated. Um, I, I would say this. Were a couple of those calls in the second half against Mati bad calls? Yes. But, like it or not, and Michigan State has had the benefit of this at times over the years, when you have a player that everybody acknowledges is great, you are going to get the benefit of the doubt, particularly when you're talking about big man contact type stuff. Right. So right, it's just right. you go into the game pretty much knowing that there are going to be at least a couple of fouls that get called against your your center playing against Timmy that are both. But they're, they're going to happen. So you have to know that it's unfortunate, but that's just the reality of the game. So t- trust me, Tom Izzo, I don't think is crying about that. I'm sure he doesn't think they were good calls but he knows better than any of us what the deal is, you know? Sure. And so that was unfortunate because it, you know, Madi played 25 minutes, even with the foul trouble in the second half, which is pretty remarkable. If he had not had that kind of foul trouble, I think he would have played 30 easily because he was so clearly Michigan state's best response. Um, so just a really impressive game from him. You, you, you see all the different ways that he helps you. I, I'm going to say this, too, because we haven't talked about it very much yet, but he is doing, in my opinion, the best job of screening since Xavier Tillman left. So it seems in some ways it seems like that's 10 years ago, but it's, you know, it's <laughs> two seasons, three seasons ago now. Uh, but I really do believe that watching him last night, again, especially in that first half where he could play, he could just play. He didn't have to worry about anything. And I don't think he's been called for a moving screen yet. I don't think so. No. In, in the exhibition or these two regular season games, which is really impressive because not only is he not getting called for fouls, he's actually setting effective screens. You know, you can avoid getting called for fouls if you're not actually screening anybody, right? He's scre- he's He's laying the wood. And I think that that first half where Michigan State had so much success getting to the rim, a lot of that was because of the work Mati was doing as a screener. I think he had about one foul every three screens in in his first two years. I mean, I think he, to your point, I think he had, he really struggled that. And, you know, that's, that's just because he didn't play. And so that's not surprising. Uh, yeah, I think Timmy had about four or six points at halftime. I mean, he did not have much. He was, he was pretty ineffective. Yeah, Mati had definitely... Body definitely had him significantly statistically a halftime. Yeah, I know that no question. Much. Yeah. And, you know, I think to the one point about that depth too, I was just sitting there, we're watching the game and, you know, Sissoko's getting in trouble with fouls and, you know, it was clear that Kohler just wasn't up to play defensively. And you're, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm surprised they, that they haven't put Cooper in the game to just see if he could, if he could do it. And then I saw the interview with Izzo later after the game. There you go. And, I don't think, I don't know what happened, but he clearly violated some rules or didn't show up or whatever it was. And Izzo was really mad about that. And that was, you know, again, a point of that you got to play the right way. You got to be the right kind of teammate and you got to take things seriously. And clearly Cooper, for whatever reason that day or something just didn't do it. And uh, that's why he didn't see the court. You're exact. You're exactly right. Um, it, uh, our, friend of the friend of the podcast jack ebling is the guy who asked the question in the post-game impromptu uh hallway discussion it looked like that you're referring to that clip and for those who haven't seen it um (laughs) izzo said something like he was asked you know did you think about playing cooper and he said no i didn't think about playing cooper um and i'm paraphrasing but it was something like uh you know He's got to, he's got to learn what he needs to do to play here. Print that something like that. Print that was in there though. It was very clearly a pointed remark that left you with the understanding that Carson Cooper did something very, very wrong. That meant he was not going to play in that game. Um, again, teaching via playing time. I, you know, you're right. I think in a different circumstance, 
you probably would have at least given that a shot yeah. in the second half. Not late, you would have given it early. a quick turn. Yeah. Yeah. You would have given and depending upon how he did, maybe you would have had him as an option late, you know, and they might, or they might have done, they might've tried to do some situational stuff because they had a ton of timeouts that they, they weren't, neither team was really calling many timeouts. So Izzo could have done a little offense defense stuff down the stretch, but obviously he had one reason or another, uh, whatever happened that led him to conclude Carson Cooper shouldn't play in this game. And he stuck to it. And that's that. And that's another, um, that's another demonstration of what we're talking about. He's going to use playing time to teach. And if you don't like it, I think you probably ought to go uh, pay attention to another program because it's the way this one's always operated and is always going to operate. If, uh, if this guy is the head coach, that's just how it is. And if you've watched another team and followed another team, you'll be watching playing directional schools in November. Uh, you know, the advantage of being a Michigan State fan is you are you have these unbelievable matchups and games that are of consequence in November. You know, yeah, you're forced to play the ACC Big Ten Challenge, you know, but Michigan State gets a Champions Classic. They get this aircraft carrier game. Uh, just the opportunities to watch really good basketball throughout the entire season is really, I think you, you lose track of how special that is for this program. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, um, you now have, if you're, if you're level headed about this stuff, you now, in my opinion, have reason to be optimistic about the way this season's going to go in total, in part, because I think the big 10, you know, isn't, isn't what it's been in recent years. Uh, I, I think that's a fair assessment at this point. We'll see how it is borne out in the end. Um, and partially because I think Michigan State is showing signs. You, you've, you know, big question marks. Um, one of them, at least, at the five spot, I think has been answered, at least to the point that you can feel confident that they're not going to get abused at that spot. Certainly not when Mati Sissoko's on the floor, at least. Um you know, some other questions are still there. I thought the second half defensive rebounding story was a bad one. Again, we'll get into that. Um, but uh, overall, I, I just the the effort and toughness that this team played with. I'm gonna I'm gonna make one more quick comment on that. If I go back to the first aircraft carrier game, and this may be lost in a lot of people's memories, but I'll try to reframe it for where things were at that point. Michigan State was coming off a massively disappointing 2010-2011 season. If you remember, that was Kalen Lucas, Darrell Summers' senior year. Chris Allen and then Corey Lucius both get dismissed from the team. Um, Keith Apley and Adrian Payne, two very highly regarded freshmen, were okay. Appling was better than Payne, but they weren't instant impact stars the way some people thought they might be. And Michigan State struggled their way into the tournament and then got beat by UCLA in a first-round game. Handily, I might add. Uh, And then they lost a bunch of guys. So you had Draymond Green and then a bunch of guys who hadn't really done a whole hell of a lot yet. And expectations have rarely been lower for a Michigan State team than they were that season, in the Izzo tenure at least. But when, when MSU went and played a loaded North Carolina team on on a ship and lost, but but played hard, played physically, and kept it as a very competitive game, I remember thinking, oh, this team has the makings of some very good things. And if you remember how that season unfolded, Big Ten champions, co-champions, Big Ten tournament champions, number one seed in the tournament, and then they did lose in the Sweet 16. But all in all, I think we remember that as a successful season. Um, This team, it's not the same setup. They don't have a Draymond Green, but there are elements of it. The the level of expectation, the toughness they're playing with, um, they're just, there's some things that remind me a bit early on. We'll see if they can sustain it but that remind me a little bit of that team. And, um, you know, a big key with that team was guys growing into 
roles and and having their talent show through in ways that it hadn't up until that point. Nobody knew Draymond Green could be a national player of the year level guy. They knew he was a good, solid role player and a third banana or whatever, <laughs> but nobody knew he could be what he was. You know, Keith Appling, Adrian Payne, Derek Nix, those guys, you know, were highly regarded to one extent or another com- coming out of high school and blossomed that season. Travis Trice blossomed as a freshman. Uh, BJ Dawson was really good as a freshman. Um, you know, on and on and on this team, you're seeing some, even in the loss, you're seeing some things. Marty Sissoko didn't do very much his first two years, but he's sure doing things now, you know, AJ Hogard, Tyson Walker. I mean, we can go on and on, but it, it reminds me in some very, very general ways. They're not exactly the same teams, but in some very general ways, I'm reminded of it at this early stage. And I'm just as enthused coming off a loss on a ship this time as I was 11 years ago. Yeah. It's tough because you know, that game was, that game was one that they could, could have pulled off. And I think the, the, the fact they were playing on the ship really affected things a lot and not just for Michigan state. I think it's, sure. I mean, those bricks of threes, I mean, people were not even hitting rim. It was, uh, my, my yeah. son was joking that they were, it was like a magnetic ball and it was the same polarity for the rim. <laughs> the ball seemed just totally miss yeah. everything. I, but, I, but on that point, I will, I will say this. I, I, both teams historically, you know, Gonzaga is a team that usually shoots the ball pretty well from range. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that this Michigan state team, that's a big part of what they want to do also. Right. But I think with these particular teams, and this is not to say Gonzaga didn't deserve the victory, but I think on balance, the weather conditions and what that did to these two teams probably cut a bit in Gonzaga's favor. Because I think for Michigan State to be really, really good, I think the three-point shot has to be a part of the equation. And for all the great things Madi did and you know, on and on and on, the reality is that Gonzaga has an all-American post right, player. Yeah. And when the chips were down, that was the difference, right? Him down the stretch, that was the difference. So I think the way, the conditions under which the game was played and what that dictated to the two teams in terms of how they had to play, I think was a big part of the deal. There are other things too. You know, I thought, I thought Gonzaga played much harder, much tougher, and much better defensively in the second half. Michigan State was not able to spread them out and and get to the rim as easily as they had been at times in the first half. They shut down MSU's transition game a bit more in the second half. You know, there were other things, but I think if you're if you're looking at the conditions and how that played out, I think that that was a little bit to Gonzaga's advantage. Yeah, I think so because really you could pack it in by the second half. It's pretty clear that neither team is going to shoot really well, so. You know, if you have right. the better inside scoring and op- options, you're going to do better in that game. Well, why don't we just go through the keys of the game, I suppose, and sort of we work our way through things. Uh, because the first one is guards, and then we can talk about what the Michigan State's guards, you know, Walker and Hogard, who I think yeah. were both good defensively. I think the difference with Hogard watching this game versus the previous game, both the exhibition game and then the um, opener against Northern Arizona, he came out focused right from the start. He came out with some intensity. And wasn't playing casually like I thought he he did the first couple games. He was taking this game seriously, and he played like it. He just he he just I posted the, our board that he sort of reminds me of Winston, not really in the way he plays, except that I, I feel like he just sort of understands the game and he is just really intelligent. Like he just knows what's going to happen, and he kind of knows what the other team's trying to do. So he's already trying to figure out countermeasures to you know what they're up to. And I, I, it, which is what you'd hope for, for a point guard, but it's really impressive for a guy who two years ago, we thought this guy doesn't even belong on the team. And now he's looks like he's instrumental because their offense runs so much better when he's running the point. Yeah. I, I don't think there's much doubt about that. Um, you know, where I think he's got a similarity to Cassius is like Cassius. He can make the game one where it's being played at his pace, you know, and you know, we always think about effective point guards or the cliches, you know, speed guys blowing by people. You know, that's kind of what excites, you know, if you think about a John Morant or people like that, you know, that's what you think about. But 
you know, there are different ways and different paces to play the game at. And AJ Hogard at his best has a pace of play that works for him. Um, and I, I'm talking about, you know, situations where he's, um, let's say trying to back somebody down mm-hmm. and get himself or just work his way onto the blocks. Um, he does that very, very well at times. There were a lot of things to like. I thought he played um, uh, defensively. He played a nice, I mean, he had three steals. Michigan State, once again, I mean, nine steals as a team. Uh, very, very impressive. And, you know, Gonzaga had 18 turnovers. So half of those turnovers were forced. Um, so seeing that kind of activity level was, uh, was very impressive uh, from AJ. Um, another thing I really liked eight for 10 at the line. We talked about this in the last game where I think he went three for three and how good the shot looked. Well, again, and under tougher conditions to be sure, uh, to go eight for 10, very impressive. And again, it's going to matter because you're talking about a guy who's going to be involved in a lot of contact. The things that. The, the main thing that I didn't like is he was a little bit too turnover prone in this one. He had four turnovers versus six assists, but it's the, the problem is the turnovers almost invariably with AJ tend to be, well, you know, you talked about the way he thinks the game and I think at his best, he does play that way. But I also think that there are times where it's very clear that he still doesn't have a hundred percent level idea of when to not push it. Mm -hmm. Meaning uh, there was a a terrible decision where Timmy was just standing there. MSU was on a semi transition and Timmy took the charge and it was just, it was a terrible decision. You know, you just, you can't do that. Um, there were, you know, again, something he has had a propensity to do at times, which Izzo has talked about, is to dribble a little too deep and kind of dribble his way into a turnover. He will occasionally do that. Now, I'm not, I'm not slagging his game. I think overall it was a very productive game from him. But those are the things that if he could clean those up, he goes up yet another level as a player. You know, and Michigan State really needs him to, because as you said, the offense clearly runs the best when AJ is in there. I think Tyson Walker, Trey Holloman are very good backup options at that position, but it's very clear that Michigan State's at their most dynamic with AJ Hogarth at the point. I, I wouldn't argue that. So you need him to continue to get better in those ways. But look, overall, I think a very positive game, even though he was only two for eight from the floor. Um, overall, very positive stuff. He probably, I mean, well, he had 10 free throws. He was drawing falls all over the place. And, and so that he was disrupting their defense that way. It was a productive game. I mean, look, 12 and six with four rebounds from your point guard. That, that's pretty good. 34 minutes played too. So he was, he was out there a lot. Someone out there even more was was Tyson Walker. He played 38 minutes. He had 12 points. Uh, he's one for two for three. He's one of the few Spartans who hit a three-pointer. Five for seven from the field. And I, I don't know if the last play was designed for him to to drive. If It was. If, and he just slipped. And I think, you know, sometimes with Tyson, he tries to go a little bit too fast uh, to try and get a little too quick. And that may have been may have bitten him there. I don't know if it was a core condition because it didn't seem like anyone else was really slipping all, a whole lot. No, and that's actually... That I guess give credit to the people putting on the game and give a lot of credit to God or Gaia or whatever <laughs> you want to attribute the weather conditions to. But yeah, that's been a problem. And that's why they stopped playing these games was condensation on the court. They had to, they had to cancel one. I think the third year they were supposed to do it. They ended up not playing the game because conditions on game day were so bad. And it's, you know, doing an event like this, you can't just reschedule necessarily the next day, right. you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't think it was that. I, my, on um, what I think happened is I think the timing was off on that play. And I think that probably contributed to it. Tyson should have had more room than he had. 
And I think in trying to use his speed and his foot, we've talked about that, that his foot speed and his handle give him a real advantage to be able to create space. And I think that's what he was trying to do. And he slipped, but I think he had to try to do it because the timing was a little off. If you recall, it took them a while to get people moving in that set. That was not by design. Yeah. Um, I give him credit though, for still maintaining the ball possession and at least finding Jade Nakins to get, you know, under the circumstances, not a horrible shot off. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to say it was a purely clean look, but that shot didn't miss wildly. You know, that was a, that was a reasonable attempt given the fact that Tyson almost slipped uh, or did slip. I should say almost, you know, foul and lost possession. Um, overall though, you know, again, I heard some of the fan base, man, oh, man, oh, man. I, I said I wasn't going to go back to this, but this was another one. <laughs> People complaining about him not shooting, not taking jumpers. Did you look at the shooting percentages from three in that game? Better yet, go back and look at the th- – because I didn't do this. I should have. Go back and look at the three-point shooting percentages of the first two games that were played on carriers. You know what they were? Right in line with what they were on this one. Yeah. Everybody 25% below. So Tyson Walker not taking threes was actually smart. Normally, you know this. We regularly talk about he's got to be aggressive. He's got to take shots that are there. I had no problem with the way he approached that game yesterday. None. Uh, offensively, I mean, you know, I, I thought he played it smart, 12 points, five for seven from the floor. You know, you want to argue that he could have, could have, or should have gotten to the rim more often. Okay. But I thought Gonzaga was playing it smart, right? They were much better, much more connected in the second half. MSU also didn't have their best screener and Sissoko out there as much. And I think all of those things combined to mean there was a little less room, a little less opportunity for MSU's guards to get, to get playing downhill, you know? And I think, and he got sort of robbed in that where he got blown up by Salas on that steal that where he just like blew right through him. And then, you know, then he got the foul on top of it. Sort of like, (laughs) here's what I'm amazed by in that one. Um, Jay Billis, who on balance, I like, I know people, you know, many people think he's sanctimonious or, you know, they don't like him because he played at Duke, whatever. I think Jay Billis is a very, very smart guy. And usually I I find myself in line. But what's funny, one thing that I, I do take issue with is he's a guy who consistently preaches about getting a rein on physicality in the game. You know, um, he's been a big proponent of um, some of the changes in emphasis and officiating, you know, uh, over the years and been a big defender of what the NCAA, um, has been attempting to do in that regard, how someone who has that bent could look at that play (laughs) and say, uh, incidental contact. Are you kidding me? Yeah. He body checked Tyson Walker into a turnover. That's why the steal happened because he put his shoulder into him. I mean, uh, yeah, it, look, that, that play wasn't make or break. Let's not pretend that. But it was a particularly egregious one that a lot of Michigan State fans are going to focus on because they in part because the officials spent so much time going over it, whatever the hell they were doing. I don't know if they somehow thought that uh, the foul they called on Tyson Walker, which wasn't a foul, um, was somehow a uh, tech worthy. I, I don't know what they were checking. I, I don't but, know. Um, it was a, it was a bad it was a bad call and it, it just stood out because we saw so many replays of it and even with every replay showing clearly what happened <laughs> you had a guy who's been a big proponent of getting overly physical play out of the game saying this is fine what <laughs> and, and just to get it out there Jay Billis has no mich- anti no no state he's, I think he's pretty fair so it's not that yeah, I I feel like it was a lot of um, you know everyone saw the play they thought they saw what they th- saw and then realized that they were wrong. <laughs> and then you sort of sort of defending yeah, sort I of guess. your original opinion and the refs are probably like, I, I don't know, I guess we'll, see. but you, cause you can't reverse those calls. Right. And so anyway, I, like you said, it wasn't the end of, it wasn't last possession. It's not like, I would love to, I that. would, 
I would love to know what they were actually reviewing. It must have been whether because he boy, grabbed him, right? A, I think that's what they were looking at. A fla- right, a flagrant. Yeah, exactly. That's the only thing I could figure, and they determined there wasn't that because, you know, <laughs> oh, well, he didn't actually foul him in the first place, and he actually got fouled. But you can't change the call that right, way. Right, yeah. Tyson Walker had a broken rib. Yeah, I guess we can't call <laughs> <laughs> grabbing the shoulder. Yeah, I guess he didn't follow him. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, uh, un- unfortunate play. But I, on balance, I was okay. You know, also let's let's keep this in mind about Michigan State's guards, Gonzaga. Now we talked about Gonzaga's guards maybe being a little bit of a weak spot for them this year, but it's relative. That said, um, you know, Nolan Hickman, ten points. Uh, their point guard, one assist, four turnovers. Rasir Bolton, who is a big-time shooter, and again, he got probably more impacted negatively by the conditions than other guys, mm-hmm. seven points, two for seven from the floor. So they're two starting guards, six for 18 from the floor, and combined, one assist, five turnovers. Uh, Malachi Smith, their highly regarded um, transfer, who's a guard, five points, um, zero assists, three turnovers. He did have six steals, but offensively really didn't do much. And then Hunter Salas, the guy who made the play you're just talking about, zero points in 18 minutes, 0 for 2 from the floor, um, no assists, no turnovers. That one steal. That's a pretty nice job on their guards. And I think what we talked about in the preview, that Michigan State would have an advantage there, I think was borne out at both ends. Michigan State's guards were better than Gonzaga's. I don't think there was much doubt about that. So then the next key to the game, which is going to be a key to the game, prop, I don't know, I suspect almost all season, was defensive rebounding. And and I think it was pretty much even at halftime, the rebounding. And then Gonzaga clearly had an edge in the second half. They had more offensive rebounds. Timmy got some big ones late in the game, uh, which led to some easy yeah. buckets for him. And then oftentimes and one opportunities. They ended up winning the rebound battle 42-32. They had 12 offensive rebounds uh, on, what, 32 misses. So that's – and which is actually not and a whole MS, lot different. MSU 9. 9 for 31. MSU so. 9 and 31. Yeah. So Gonzaga, look, at halftime, I felt really good about where Michigan State was in terms of their defensive rebounding. Really good. Mati Sissoko was doing a great job inside. Yep. Um, other guys, you know, Pierre Brooks had one big time defensive rebound, I recall, um, where he just came flying in yes. and and used it. It was it was, you know, he's showing those glimpses every game of what he can be as a rebounder. They just need to see more of it. A um, lot of guys doing a really nice job. And then the second half, you just saw, you know, Timmy in particular. I mean, I don't I gotta look at the numbers here. Five offensive rebounds for Drew Timmy. And I'm gonna bet at least four of those came in the second half. Yeah. Um, particularly when Sissoko was off the floor. Um, it was just it was there were a couple times where it was kind of like a tip drill for Drew Timmy around the basket. And you know, Michigan State, we talk about this, right? You get a team like Gonzaga to miss from the floor, you've got to clear the board. You can't give them second opportunities. They scored 17 second chance points in this game. That's, you know, 17 on 12 offensive rebounds. That's that's just too many. Michigan State, conversely, six second chance points on nine offensive rebounds. So that's one area you could point to as a difference maker in the game. Um, you know, if I if I look at individual stats, you know, Mahdi had nine boards. Malik Hall, again, another pretty solid yeah. game, seven rebounds. But you get beyond those two guys, it's not a lot. I mean, guys, you know, uh, oh, this is interesting. They appear Brooks. I know, saw his zero uh, rebounds, but he had zero that one rebounds, for sure. That makes no sense. Yeah, he definitely had that one. He had one big offensive. Yeah. Joey Hauser, again, foul trouble played a big role in this, but not all of it. One rebound. Can't have it. Yeah. Um, you know, so real Hogard with four from the point guard spot. Okay. But really it was Sissoko and Hall, and that was kind of it. That that cannot be the equation for winning basketball for this team. They've got to find a way. The good news is when I look at how hard they competed, how hard they played, it says to me that the DNA for it is there within this team. This is clearly not a team that shies away from physical contact. 
you know, they, they, it was anything but that in that game last night. They played very hard, very physically. They just need to channel that, execute better as a defensive rebounding group. And again, we'll, we'll attribute some of it to the lineups Michigan State had to play late in that game because it is true they got a lot done late on the offensive boards. Yeah. It was really the final, I would almost say the final five minutes that a lot, but definitely the latter part of the second half that Gonzaga made a lot of hay. They probably got half their offensive rebound. They, they probably offensively rebounded half their misses in the last eight minutes of that game. I mean, I feel like. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise yeah. me. Yeah. If, if you said six in the last eight minutes or so, yeah, it wouldn't shock me. Well, uh, and you know, when Akins comes back, Akins had two rebounds in 17 minutes. He's still, you can see he's still kind of getting in there. So hopefully that'll improve things as well as that goes. Well, he's a guy that they, they, they definitely are counting on to help make them better. No question. But. Yeah. Well, and the next is transition. And so I felt like this is the first time we've seen that transition game really hum. It looked really good. Uh, especially when Hogard was out there, Gonzaga was really smart. They switched to that one, what one, three, one, uh, press to try and slow him down, which worked a couple times. And then once sort of once you say, figure that out, they, they hurt him with it, you know, with the press, if you can attack and get and cut through it, which they did once or twice, and then they just stopped doing it again. Uh, so the transition game was great. I mean, fast break points, I thought were pretty accurate here where it's 14 to six, yeah. I think, or 14 to three. So it was no question. Um, it was, it, there was, I think like one, maybe one transition off a turnover or something that Gonzaga had, and that was pretty much it. So state and, and there, yeah. and of course, to our point, oftentimes at the secondary break, there were a lot of open looks and quick shots we got, got in because of that, because of the moving the ball down so quickly. And so I think the transition was, it was very encouraging that how well they were running. Well, look, Gonzaga is another program. I mean, if you're talking about, the elite fast break programs in America, you typically that conversation starts with Michigan state, North Carolina, but then right after that Gonzaga, <laughs> yeah, right. Historically Gonzaga is traditionally a very good transition team. Uh, Michigan state had it all over them in the transition game last night. That was also very encouraging. Um, if they could do that against them, you're going to hope that we see it repeated in some of these other, uh, um, high major tests that they've got coming up. Uh, but that was particularly the first half was great to see. Cause you're right. It was the first time this year that we really saw Michigan state running like Michigan state. Yeah. It was the first time we really saw them play with any sort of intensity. I think the other two games they played, not that they just walked through the games, but you know, I think, you know, Hogard was kind of casual the first, the first Northern Arizona. And, you know, I just, they, they just played with a, a focus that they had not played with earlier in the season. And so it was nice to see that. Uh, so then the next one is fives. We kind of talked about that, Sissoko. And I think, you know, if you had to compare who had a better five, well, it was Gonzaga with Drew Timmy. But Michigan State was not far behind. I mean, with Sissoko was able to hold his own there. and A lot closer than anybody would have guessed. And and when Mahdi was able to play freely before the fouls piled up into the second half, um, it was <laughs> – you could make an argument that he was having the better game. Yeah. Um, what I what I really like too is that uh, already you're seeing him become, and this is something we hadn't really seen yet as much in the exhibition or the Northern Arizona game. You really saw him as a weapon in pick and roll in that yeah. game. I mean, he was a weapon. You know, setting good screens, rolling to the rim. The timing was there, um, and you know, and showing good hands. That's the other thing, you know, that was something that, you know, somebody like Marcus Bainham occasionally would struggle with that. He got better too, as he went along, but um, I think Monty Sissoko is showing a good pair of mitts. I think so too. And I, I'm really impressed for a guy who is, you know, let's be honest, he's not really played at all in his first two years at Michigan state. He really looks like he knows what he's doing coming off that, the pick and roll, diving to the rim and yeah. looking ready for the, the pass. There's a one time I That's think he I wasn't mean. looking for it, but the other times he was he was ready. And I mean, he scored 14 points because he just put himself in a position to succeed. So much of that for the role man, for the, for the, screener, the screener who then rolls, is about timing. And your, your guard has a lot of that responsibility too. People, you know, casual fans may not realize that a lot of times – 
when those offensive fouls are called on a screen, it's really the guard's fault. Yeah. The guard didn't get the timing right. They went too soon or too late, you know, but the fact that Marty is, is doing all of those things on time and in rhythm is a really good sign. Yeah. And finally, the last key of the game is turnovers. Michigan state finished the game with 18 turnovers. Uh, Gonzaga had, I'm sorry, Gonzaga had 18 turnovers. Michigan state had 16, you know, Michigan state had uh, nine steals, but Gonzaga had 11 steals. So I like, pretty even, and I think it was, in some respects, it's, it, I think partly because of the way the game had to be played inside so much, there's a lot of just, you know, balls getting sort of knocked yep. out of hands and such. And I think, you know, one thing that is, we're going to have to watch for the rest of the season, or at least for a little while, Jackson Kohler, clearly the, the book on him is to double him quickly. I mean, that you saw that right away in even Grand Valley. And I think you saw that with Northern Arizona where they, they doubled him right away and he's got to either split it quickly or go fast and get it out of there before the double gets there and pins him down. And that's just something he's got to learn because if he doesn't, then he's going to be, it's going to be a struggle for him because that's clear. The book is out and that's what the, everyone's strategy is going to be going forward until he solves it. Right. And, and I agree with that. That was another reason why I, th- I think they felt they couldn't play him down the stretch because you might even be able to argue, okay, Timmy may get some against him, but Jackson can make him pay. And in theory, he would be able to do that. But when they're showing, as you say, double or even tripling, it's, it's kind of tough. And yeah, he's gotta, he's gotta make those decisions quicker. I, I, this game, we didn't see it against Northern Arizona. I think he showed on a couple of occasions that he does have, the instincts to do that. Like he, at times he'll, he'll catch the entry pass and immediately turn into his move. Yeah. You know, just beat, which is what you have to do. You know, if you're intent on scoring, you can't wait around, you know, feel for the defender, take a, take a crab dribble or two. It's, it's too tough. So if you go into your move quickly, you give yourself a better chance, either that, or you just got to be strong enough with the ball. Um, to be able to kick it out and find the open man because guaranteed there will be open men. Yeah. And maybe that's partly people not making themselves available. And then this game, you know, even if you were available, you're not going to make it. I mean, (laughs) you're not, no one's shooting well. It's not all him. Right. And, and look, if you can, if you are good enough to demand, which he already is to demand that, that attention, then if you can in turn, get better at kicking it out and finding the right guy. Um, that becomes a big offensive weapon for Michigan state. It's not even just Jackson Kohler scoring. It's does he, what other people's uh, other buckets for other people does he create just by being on the floor, you know, not even necessarily getting assists, but maybe the hockey assist, right. You know, um, but that I, I agree with you. That was something that uh, really nullified him in this game. You know, and that was if, if you're if you're looking at those kinds of of things in this one. Look, getting next to nothing out of Jackson Kohler and Joey Hauser is a big negative. You would you would think that Michigan State needs those guys, particularly Joey, but Jackson also needs those guys to be productive if they're going somewhat productive at least they're going to win a game against an opponent like this and they just you know jackson again we've talked about it i think he just isn't ready for this level of game yet um in joey's case it was just very disappointing early foul trouble put him behind the eight ball and he just never got on track never found himself again i will say in an environment where threes are not going to be a big factor well, three-point shooting is one of the best things he yeah, does, right? right? So maybe not an ideal situation for him, but Michigan State needs him to be a lot better than that. We know that. Um, I thought Malik Hall had an interesting game because, you know, boy, at times I thought he did some really good things, and his numbers weren't terrible. They were better than the Northern Arizona game, to be sure. I think he had 10 and 7, right? Yep. Well, 11 and 7, yeah. Yeah, 11 and mm-hmm. 7. 11 points, five for 10 from the floor, missed his only two, three pointers, but you know, 
played within himself 29 minutes of seven rebounds from the wing. That was important. Although this game, he played more in the post than he had previously out of necessity. I would say this, he had one great bucket in the post down the stretch. And then he had that other play where he got the offensive rebound and went right into like a 12 foot jumper that he missed. And it was a shot that you could see Izzo's reaction, (laughs) not the shot he wanted off, you know, a second chance. Um, you got to have your seniors be guys who make the right decisions. And I think you could argue that both with Malik and Joey, they didn't make quite enough of the right decisions yesterday. Yeah. But I would say my impression, Joey, I can't speak much to you because I I do think the fact that the shooting was so difficult in that game that really neutralized what he was going to be able to do out there in the court. Yeah. But for Malik, he is, he is definitely looked, looking more like the kind of player who's going to be a um, more of a force this season, what we had hoped for, I think, because I felt like Aaron Henry, you had to just like really just pull it out of him. It was really hard to get him to that point where he is going to start attacking. It wasn't until the very end of the season. I don't think we're gonna have to work quite so hard from Leak. We'll see if he can still maintain that. But uh, I was encouraged by his performance and again, the rebounds, he had a couple steals. He was, he didn't seem to disappear completely in that game, which was, I think, encouraging to me for him it's the curse of talent you're left at least i could say this for myself i'm i'm left often with him wanting more because he shows you that he's capable of delivering more um you know in this game okay 11 and 7 not bad but does he have the ability the potential to do even more damage yeah he does and it's funny like he did some things early as i recall and then he did some things late and not as much in between, you know? So where does, where did that go? I, I think that's, that's the thing. And it's not that, you know, he needs to be scoring 25 a night, but you want to see him as a consistent focal point for the offense. You know, yeah. now that doesn't mean every possession is going to go through him because this team has other guys, AJ Hogard needs a ball in his hand. We want to see Tyson Walker attacking, you know, so there's a balance here, but the kind of plays that Malik made late in that game could happen more often than they are. And I hope that he starts to unlock that. But I, I, I think that the potential is certainly there. Yeah. I wonder too, if it's a little bit of it is, is trying to figure out the wing position, like how often do I stay out to shoot threes versus how often do I tack in the lane? And there's probably a balance there. That's a little bit, tricky for him to sort of figure out what he's supposed to do. I would, I would say this while we're talking about that one other thing, small thing that I was encouraged by was, you know, Michigan state. We're seeing Madi Sissoko showing more than we anticipated in the post. And we know Jackson Kohler, when he's not being triple teamed can score effectively in the post, but I liked what I see, you know, Malik Hall on a few occasions. We've seen that before, but you know, the, the guy that I really liked operating in the post, and he didn't get a lot of buckets from the field out of it, but he drew some fouls, got himself to the line a few times, was A.J. Hogard. A.J. Hogard has, is going to have a significant physical advantage against the guy who's guarding him. Mm, I would venture to guess at least 75% of the time, sure. maybe more often yeah. than that. Um. I think he, and, and this gets back to that thing we talked about earlier, playing at your own pace. He's got to be patient enough to work himself into those spots on the floor where he could take advantage of that. Yeah. And he's probably just learning that too. And just discovering that more with his, with his play. He hasn't done it very much. Yeah. To this point in his career, but he's starting to show it a bit now. And that's a good sign. I, I've always felt that I, look, I, I really like, in general, the things that Tom Izzo does offensively. I love the philosophy of playing inside out. I love the running game, all of those things. One thing that I think they haven't done as much of as I think they could have over the years is exploit mismatches in the post with guys other than five men or four yeah. men. Because they've had guys at different times. You know, I, I talked to them, I think it was the last podcast, Denzel Valentine. Mm-hmm. I thought they could have done so much more with Denzel as a mismatch in the post. A.J. Hogard, kind of a similar physical type. 
to Denzel in a lot of ways. I think they can do a lot of damage on the blocks with him. If Malik Hall is playing a lot of three, he could certainly do that. So I'm encouraged to see Michigan State doing more of it than we typically see. I just hope that continues. Yeah, and so I guess, you know, in summary, we this is the first game of the murderer's row for Michigan State. Uh, it's, you know, a tough eight-game stretch here where we, we expected – I mean, a successful eight-game stretch, you think if you come come out of that four and four, that'd be pretty good, especially since you're playing everybody who's ranked higher than you. And uh, a good showing. A team came out ready to look look like they were going to pull this game out and then just, just kind of ran out of steam and just the circumstances probably just didn't work out in their favor. Next up is Kentucky, so it doesn't get any easier. And uh, again, playing consequential games that are nationally exposed exposure, which you see the advantage of that when you see with the recruiting for both Kohler and Cohn and Normand going after guys and getting them with it, you know, and kind of coming late in the game and still able to recruit players because of this national brand that Tom Izzo has created. Uh, you know, I guess final thoughts in the game. Go ahead. Well, uh, not so much on the game. I think we've, you know, bottom line is I think Michigan State it's unfortunate they lost and there's certainly things they need to do better. But my overall impression is uh, there's a lot to be happy about and, and a lot that bodes well, I think for this team going forward, um, even with concerns and areas for improvement being noted. Um, one thing I want to mention though, on the, since you met, since you brought up recruiting, because uh, we haven't had a chance to cover it. Um, Michigan state had an official visitor, that uh, I was not aware of. Um, nobody was until it had already happened um, last weekend. A guy named Flory Badunga. And Flory Badunga is a top five player in the 2024 class. He's a 6'10, 220 pound center, but he's every bit the five man. And he's really been rocketing up the rankings in that class. Um, in part based on a showing he had against uh, Xavier Booker in the early summer. He played a uh, high school summer league. Their two teams played and Badunga played exceptionally well. And that combined with the fact that his 16 and under AAU team, Indiana elite won the Adidas circuit for that age group. Um, He's been very, very impressive. And here's what's been weird about it. And I don't think we've talked about this, uh, but I, I've posted it on the board. He's a kid from Kokomo, Indiana. So he's an upper Midwest guy right in the Michigan State wheelhouse. And uh, again, is the attention has been strong on this guy going back to the spring. And yet Michigan State didn't seem to be involved. And uh, you're watching, obviously, Purdue and Indiana, which you expect but Michigan and some other schools of the Butler, some other big 10 schools. And then more recently, Kentucky and Kansas all get involved. And I, I had reached the point where I, I just started to assume because I hadn't asked anybody about it, but I just started to assume, well, either the kids just not interested in Michigan state for whatever reason, or they think it's just too complicated because based on the talent and the position he plays, that's there's no question yeah. and his ge the, uh, geographical background that would be a normal guy michigan state would recruit while they're in it now they offered him he took a visit um and we'll see but that's the kind of guy that playing these games that you mentioned it's it's part of what that's about it's not the sole reason you play those games primarily you're playing them for the team that's on the floor but it also sure as hell helps you with next year's team and the year after because kids want to play in those kind of environments. You know, I think the value of yesterday's game, even beyond um, the developmental stuff, you know, getting a level check and all that is you get so much attention from that, that win or lose. I mean, I think most people, most neutral people, probably came away from that game thinking that was a really competitive game in an extremely cool environment. Right. Yeah. So how can that do anything but help you in recruiting? And I think getting involved again with, with kids like Badunga is just another example of why 
you want to continue to do these things um, and why it's to Michigan State's advantage to for the program to sit where it sits that um, you know every November and December you're going to see a good number of high-level games that people are going to care about and people are going to watch at a time of year where, you know, most of the sporting focus with college athletics is, well, athletics period is on football of college and the NFL variety, right? Yeah. But a few college games every November, you know, Champions Classic, this thing, the, when they play it, you know, this Armed Forces Classic um, and the higher profile holiday tournaments, those are the ones that break through the noise and get even casual people watching them. And Michigan State is in a disproportionate number of those games. You're in, you're out. Yeah, no question. That's to their advantage. And I would say, you know, I'm not a betting person. In fact, I've never actually bet on sports until this is the first year I actually have. And there were, there were 11 to 1 odds for Michigan State to win the Big Ten outright. And I took those. And I feel a lot better about that that bet than I – right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's a good number. Absolutely, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I was uh, jumped on because that because and and I'm saying that I'm not even saying oh Michigan State should be the favorite, but for Michigan State to be eleven to one with the conference the way it is, I mean, I, I I've seen Michigan play already. Um, right now, I'd rather be Michigan State. Yeah, <laughs> put it that way. Yeah, Michigan. Um, you know. Uh, and that's, yeah, I, I'm guessing Michigan probably had better odds at that book than 11 to one to win the big 10. And there's just, there's nobody that you look at and say, well, yeah. this is clearly a year where that team's going to romp. It's just, so yeah, that's a great, that's a great gamble in my yeah, opinion. I think, you know, I was, I think I was six to one and Michigan, Ohio state and Illinois were for like four, four to one. And, uh, so yeah, I was surprised yeah. it was only one. Most of the, most of the books were seven to one with Michigan state, which, and then I just found and I found the eleven one site. That's jumped more on reasonable it. because, because as I as I think about it, we talk about this in the season previews. You know, there's six seven teams that you look at and say, well, I could see this team winning it. You know, that's not most years. You don't have you don't get that deep. This year, I think you do. So you say, well, seven to one that strikes me intuitively is about right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, maybe FanDuel. It'll be interesting to see how long it stays eleven to one because I think this is. You know, you had to you had to assume that they're going to be okay at the five because that was the, the big giant. I think that was a big giant question. I think just going to get eaten alive there, and I think that's clear that it's not going to happen. So they're going to be competitive. Not not in the way it did last year. Right. Yeah. yeah. No. I no question. Uh, so you know, next up's Kentucky. We'll uh, we'll be seeing that pretty soon in a couple of days as this, the the march continues through through uh, November. And I would like to remind you, you know, if I picked up 11 to one odds from Michigan State, I don't know if it's, those are still available on FanDuel, but I would encourage you to send an email to me at TFFINOTS at gmail.com. You can enter our free t-shirt contest if you predict the order the Big Ten, one through 14. You can also obviously add your name, put down the amount of points you think Michigan State will score against Michigan this season as a tiebreaker. We've had not a ton of entries, so your odds of winning are pretty good. So I th- encourage you to jump in on that. That obviously is open until the first Big Ten game, which is in about a month from now in uh, first early December. Uh, also, uh, go to a website. You can go to general form that we talk about. We do we do postings both mid-game. I know Rod's, Rod's done the halftime thoughts and uh, you can enter the conversation with other Spartan fans at our the Final Four is not on the schedule.com website. Just go to the forum. You can also support the show financially if you want to do that too, which we greatly appreciate. But until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.